Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Growth Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special episode of Business Growth Secrets. I've got an amazing guest on with me today, which I'm really excited to talk about. He's got a wide array of experience in business. I'm sure this is going to be a content-packed episode, which you can feast on and really get some golden nuggets. So with me today is Shalini Kemka, who is the founder of an amazing company called E2E, which helps businesses. He's also an advisor on the Mayor of London's advisory board for business growth within uh, London and business policy. Uh, she's got a wide array of experience from venture capital to placing non-executive directors, helping financing businesses, and so much more. Uh, welcome on, uh, Shanini. I'm really looking forward to having a, a great chat with you about business today and business in the UK. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Scott. I'm doing very well. Well, and it's a pleasure to be joining you and doing a, a podcast with you and a chat with you. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, well, look, we've you're at a stage now where you've you've built this amazing business in in E two E. You're helping thousands and thousands of businesses. Um, I think you said twenty eight thousand in in your network, uh, which are really helping them to 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 scale up. And that is what you specialize in. And and on the way of building that business, I'm sure there's been quite a journey. Um, to getting to the stage you're at. So where, where did this start from for you and what got you excited about business, wanting to get into business? Where does this all go back to? To achieve some amazing things, be really good to understand where did you start from? Oh, that's a very good question, Adam. So I have to go back a really long way, actually, back to university. As My interest in business started at university. I studied economics. I was at the University of Essex and uh, um, I led something called the Student Industrial um, um, Policy um, for University of Essex. And it was a, um, a small group of people initially, which became big over the three years I was there. And what I ended up doing was as a fun part time thing is trying to place students into the business environment. And um, this whole society that I ran, the Student Industrial Society, um, People as they graduate get placements into jobs and that's where I've got a, a love for business I think and studying economics helped me um, in terms of my immediate family um, my father's a surgeon my mom as um, an educationalist so in terms of my immediate family we didn't really have much entrepreneurship in the blood immediate family but my my father's broader family are entrepreneurs in India and I think maybe some of that rubbed off on me but my interest began at university just exploring what are the opportunities for students in business that's where it started and it it grew from there and where did it grow to what were kind of your next steps because uh, if I'm right you you went very much into the banking world is that correct and you know how did you sort of evolve from there yeah so um obviously being 
came from an Indian family, there was a little bit of a keenness from my family to become a dentist or a doctor. And I decided that I enjoy I wanted to get more into the business world. I was actually very interested in something called international trade finance. So I applied for graduate roles in international trade divisions of banks. So my key career started at NatWest Bank um, in international trade finance, where I started on their sort of graduate scheme and um, then ended up specializing in international trade. And that led me on a few years later to work for Bankers Trust uh, and Deutsche Bank. And then I ended up leaving Deutsche Bank to set up with a few other people from Deutsche Bank, um, the world's first company to trade trade finance instruments online. So at that time, it's going back a few years now, there was the whole interest in the dot-com boom. And um, I began by setting up a small internet company. I was one of four co-founders. And uh, we started with working with large corporate organizations and encouraging them to sell their trade finance requirements to banks internationally using a platform that we built. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture, you could say. And and how did that go? So leaving the kind of security of that corporate environment, large companies, you know, did you have some fears around that? Did you have some people telling you you were crazy? Uh, Were you just excited? Were there some challenges? What kind of happened in that process? Um, I I had a lot of people tell me that I was crazy. Uh, A lot of people say, you know, why am am I leaving a a well-known brand like a Deutsche Bank to set up a company that nobody had ever heard of, getting away from having a proper paid package. I actually invested in the company that I set up pretty much all my savings. Um, So I did have a lot of people ask me whether I was doing the right thing or not. And um, I, I tend to listen a lot to my gut. My gut was saying, actually, this is the opportunity for me to try something different, try to work with um, or, uh, with some very interesting co-founders to set up something which would be useful to the banking industry. And I think when I joined banking, I was a little bit surprised because I had seen bonds and equities and other financial instruments being traded online, but trade finance for some reason was not yet online so I could see there was a gap in the market so that I had some level of confidence that there was a requirement for the business I was about to set up so I didn't go in without some level of research and knowledge but at the same time it was a huge risk and um, to go from earning a proper salary to earning nothing did you have some fears yourself did you have some doubts were there some moments where you felt like, have I done the right thing? Did you doubt yourself? Were there moments like that? Yeah, virtually in the beginning every day for the first one year, um, because you don't know. It takes time to realise whether your idea has mileage and momentum. You get a sort of a set gist of it in the first few months as you start to sign up your first few clients. But it it every single day I was excited. It was nice to get out of bed and set up my own thing. And there's um energy in me that kept wanting to grow the first business and play a very very important role in its success um, which kept me going but there was also the fear of this is our own idea no one's ever done this before and we were the market leader in online trade finance so we weren't taking an already executed business model and replicating it and there's a lot of sense of 
taking a model that works and doing it in a different way and better way. Um, but this was a brand new idea. So there was a lot of fear. And um, I did get a lot of um, people continually challenge me to say, why are you doing this? What's the motivation? I think the motivation was to prove that trade finance could be done in a different way at the time. And that um, the idea that we had and that I had had mileage. Yeah. And the reason I ask that question is there's probably a lot of people on the line that are entrepreneurs in uh, in the phase of either starting, growing and also scaling, of course. And and, and uh-huh. that journey, there's often a lot of beliefs. And I just like from people that have been through the journey, I think it's important for people to understand that it is quite normal to have some moments of self-doubt, to have some moments where, you know, they feel like um and and also people saying to them hey you know have you made the right move and it's really cool that yeah you had the mentality you were committed to the mission and you pushed it through so as you were growing that business and you went in every day and you're excited and you're pushing forward and you're overcoming the fear what were some of the moments where you felt like you know what this is gonna work were there was there a moment a turning point or something for you that you felt we're, we're really getting somewhere now yeah, so when we signed up um, large corporate organizations to use our technology, then we started to get those golden nuggets of proof. Um, so um, when we, when those companies started to pay us to license the technology, in the beginning we were giving it away free to test the concept, but then when that converted to paid clients, then we knew we were onto something that could work. And also when the banks started to use the technology to trade trade finance assets we knew that the concept was working uh, and the concept started to work very well after the first one year and we ended up in a period of four years having sort of 356 banks using our platform but it became overly competitive it's like an ebay auction platform and then the banks the bigger banks didn't like seeing their margins come down their pricing come down when they were doing deals with larger corporates so um, we were also ahead of our time. So it's a great question. And I think you get validation from client feedback in, when it becomes to monetization and people are willing to pay for the service. Absolutely. So you gain that proof of concept, you know, which is yeah. so important that you felt it felt that that could work. In terms of the skills, obviously working in a banking environment, going to uni, working for Deutsche Bank, and there's certain skills that you need in that area. But now starting your own business with the founders, what new skills did you feel that you had to build? How did you have to change as an individual? And what sort of things did you have to cultivate? Were there new things to learn? You know, were there things that you needed to focus on that you hadn't focused before? What what skills did you build upon? Yeah, um, a lot of different things. I felt there was a fundamental shift in in me as a person. I was going from being an employee to an employer and um, learning how to do, first of all, things like payroll. I'd never had to look at those sorts of things. They were handed to me in a corporate organization. Things like marketing, getting your brand out there, finding clients, origination of business. These were things that, although in my corporate career, you know, in origination, sales, marketing, it's all very, very important. You tend to have divisions that support you. When you're running your own business, you have to write this marketing language yourself. You have to come up with your vision and mission statement yourself. You have to come up with all of the digital digital assets because even at that time, you know, it was still 
um, e-shots and marketing literature, etc. So there was a huge learning curve for me. Um, and from leadership skills to core skills, um, being super organized, I think, became a crucial part of how I operated and having my own sort of um, plan of action of what I had to achieve at the beginning of the week to the end of the week, how I would go about it, because I didn't have a team. There was just us co-founders to begin with. And often a co-founder is on their own. They don't even have fellow co-founders. So I was actually in a privileged position that was more than one of one person. In my current business that I've set up, I am the single co-founder. Single founder. I'm not a co-founder. So when I was a co-founder, in a way, you had people to talk to. But for a lot of your listeners, I think they'll have started businesses from scratch on their own without co-founders. And that's where, where I feel that you need to have a lot of good people surrounding you advisors, experts, close family that you can have very open and honest, frank conversations with. But one of the key fundamental shifts, I think, um, is the paychecks no longer coming in and you have to plan how you're going to spend money, where you're going to spend money um, and be very, very considered around all of that, um, which wasn't a problem in my Deutsche Bank and uh, uh, NatWest and uh, Bankers Trust and Coopers and Librand where I was in those environments, there was plenty of cash to do a lot of things, but not in my own business. Absolutely. So as this yeah. business started to grow, you exited this in 2004, is that correct? Correct, yes. So so what was the, had you planned to exit? Was it uh, an offer that was too good to refuse? Where, where did that come from and how did that build? No, we hadn't planned to exit. The exit happened because effectively, we found that we were ahead of our time and some of the banks of the 356 banks and the larger banks said actually they didn't want to use our technology anymore because we were eroding trade finance margins so let me just explain it in a in a way so let's say you have bank or uh, it's selling commodities to a country they have different banks who they work with to provide the trade finance um security payment security so Let's assume their banks are Deutsche Bank, Citibank, and Standard Chartered. If all those three banks say we don't want to compete with the other 350 banks on the platform, they come off. So we found that some of the bigger banks didn't like the openness we were creating, and we realized we were ahead of our time. So we decided to try and sell um, to make as much money as we could because we knew that we would go through a dip for a few years. Absolutely. Um, so you so you went and found that uh that buyer. Um yeah. what was that like when you exited? How did you feel? Was there did you feel like you were walking away too soon? Were you excited? What what was the situation there for you? No, it was a very tough time actually, because we, you know, um we're in an uncertain environment, not sure it not hundred percent sure it's the right thing to do or not, but felt that this was the only way to keep the business going. Uh, and also to make some good money out of it. So it was a very, very difficult decision. And actually, I got less involved in the exit because um, I was offered a role by Lloyds Bank to run their trade finance, plain vanilla trade finance division during the exit. So I took the opportunity to um, take on a different role um, during exit. And it was the first time someone had invited me to work for them rather than me usually putting myself forward Adam so when that happened I felt in a very privileged position when you had the head of international um, trade finance and financial institutions from Lloyd's asking me to come and run their plain vanilla division I took that opportunity 
Oh, fabulous. So as you grew, you now run E to E, um, and you started. Yeah. That. So how how long was it before you started that business? How long you went back? You started working for Lloyd's. Did you have an yeah. entrepreneurial itch? What kind of happened for you there? And you know, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, basically, I joined um, Lloyd's in 2004 and I ran the plain vanilla trade finance division until around 2008, beginning of 2008. And I did what I could and really enjoyed my time in international trade finance. But I also wanted to get back into something entrepreneurial. So I was very fortunate because I had a very good um, um, group of people around me. And one of my advisors or mentors was a, a guy who was on the board of Lloyd's. Uh, his name's Turret Tate, and he was on the board of wholesale and international banking. He suggested to me to try private equity within Lloyd's. And um, there's a division within Lloyd's called Lloyd's TSB Development Capital, LDC. So um, the chief executive at that time, his name's Daryl Eels. He gave me a secondment into LDC to try me out on um, um, trade on uh, on private equity. So um, it took him one year to make the role to work whether I would be good enough or not. Uh, and then I took a transfer into LDC and LDC backed companies like GHD. They've done companies like um, more recently they've done Fever Tree and those sorts of organizations. So I could see that LDC was a very interesting part of the group. And I went in as an investment director. I worked in LDC for a few years and it's there that I came up with the idea to set up E2E because I had the opportunity to meet some amazing entrepreneurs and I could see that they were going through similar struggles to what I had gone through but I didn't have the support infrastructure in my first business so I asked LDC to back me and that's what happened um, and I set up E2E whilst I was working for LDC um, it was my idea. I spent most of my evenings, weekends working on this business plan during 2010 and launched it in 2011. So you launched in 2011. You've been working on the business plan behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, what did yeah. the What did the business plan look like at that stage? How much has it changed? I mean, now that you're doing a, a tremendous amount of, of variant variance in your work. So what did it look like at, at that time for for you? It was a lot. Uh, it was a very simple business plan, Adam, in compare current comparison to what the business does now. Um, so the business plan was around how to get founders connected to the right people to help them make their decisions. And actually, I felt there's a need at the time for founders of scale up businesses to meet one more investors um, to help them raise money. And I felt also that having access to people who are in the same um, profession, i.e. entrepreneurial background, uh, also very important because I realized in my first business, although we had co-founders, we kept very much to ourselves. We didn't actually talk to a lot of people, didn't have a non-exec board. We didn't talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs to make our decisions. Um, so I started it with just um, a basic business plan of how to get founders together on a regular basis to have those sorts of confidential conversations that you don't have the right people to talk to necessarily at home absolutely and you work yeah. mainly with scale-up businesses so the size of businesses that you're working with uh, tell us a little bit about that so what do you classify yeah. as a scale-up um, yeah 
So um, what we like to do is we like to work with founders who are scaling their companies, who are wanting to grow their companies. So the majority of our members, they have companies of half a million plus of revenue. They have three to five employees or more. And some of them are very, very big businesses. And some of them are, you know, the earliest stage. Um, and because I was working for LDC, LDC backed um, proper scale-up businesses, it kind of made sense for me to set up the organization to support scale-up founders. So, um, um, in the UK, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Adam. We've worked through 28,000 of them now. You, you yeah. must have common traits. And I think, obviously, this, you know, this podcast is all about helping people to grow. There's no doubt there's probably a lot of people on that at those stages. And I train a lot of people scaling their businesses is something that I do a lot as well. Yeah. What for you are some of the important elements? What should somebody that wants growth in their business, what what would the advice that you give, the, the kind of guidance that you would give, what would you say to those businesses? I think firstly, make sure that you're very, very clear on your business plan. Where are you trying to take it? If you don't have an expert to help you and you've got a little bit of money that you can invest in having somebody who's been there and done it before, having somebody external to be that sounding board that you meet with maybe once a week for a few hours or twice a month, whatever you can afford, I think it's worth making that small investment uh, or as much investment as you can to have an experienced person help you with the business planning. So one is very clear, articulated, um business plan and i don't mean a five to ten year business plan yeah. i mean for the next two to three years if possible or even for the first year um secondly is when you're early you don't necessarily have the funds to have a big team or to recruit uh, a proper solid team is to try and find people that can help you um on a part-time basis using interns using um people that can support you on the various functions that you need, whether it's outsource marketing, whether it's outsource finance, because as brilliant as we are, we can't be a great marketer. We can't be a great accountant and everything in one ourselves. You need that sort of support structure. Um, so to find the most cost effective ways to, to make that happen, I think uh, is very, very important. Thirdly is, is, um, I, I found a lot of business plans that we look at, um, people who've made the time to investigate what competition is, what does the competition look like, and how will you be a little bit different, how will be you be unique, maybe it's not even in the proposition, but it's in the execution of okay. how you do things, um, that's key. Managing, I think I've mentioned about cash flow, and um, I always talk about managing cash very, very carefully. Um, we see, especially during COVID, we've seen too many businesses run out of cash because, you know, they haven't kept a long enough runway. Um, so being close to the to the mark on managing a cash flow runway, I think, is, is important, very important. Um, and then it's often easier to retain your clients than find new ones. So, you know, treat your customer as a king. Um, that's really, really important. And we've seen great businesses do really well because they've got that right. Um, they know who their client is and they look after their client very, very well. So not to forget about that because they end up being your big ambassadors and that's how you get the viral marketing um, growing. So um, I think those are some of the key things. And I think 
in yourself is um I always say this I don't know if I apply it enough to myself is don't take life so seriously that you can't enjoy it um you've got to step back and enjoy otherwise you will find that you burn out and get too tired so keep keep it in perspective yeah all of that absolutely nailed nailed on advice I love the fact that you you put some emphasis there on you know finding those experts as well finding the right people to mentor you and help you because a lot of the time people waste so much time trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together on their own and and, and really a person with experience could guide them so much faster so much quicker to to get a great result i love the fact you talk about the fractionalized part of the team you know looking at how can you get people um part-time outsourced in these different ways which is really important as well and then of course keeping an eye on the on the cash flow and i think the the balance actually when somebody wants to grow yeah is that cash flow balance balancing that with risk tolerance is always something that people generally quite find quite quite challenging because you do get people that are like mad on growth and they're just willing to go to the bone to get the growth but then you get other people that are so concerned about the cash flow that they yeah. never make the investments that they need to make to grow their business and and they typically kind of stay stuck so it's, it's always a a balancing act and be getting that balance right in that you are making the investments to grow but you are keeping an eye and you are protecting your your runway and making sure you don't run out of cash there's some really great things there and you do awesome stuff right so you've got lots of networking events uh you do introductions i believe you do uh investment meetings debt financing lots of different things now and the business has been running you said since 2011 is that right is yes, it, it's been yeah. 12, 12 years so, now. Yeah. So 2011, what have you seen change since 2011 to 2023 in business? You know, what are some of the key changes that you've noticed and things that people need to be alert for in terms of being a modern business? Uh, again, great question. Thank you for asking it. So, I mean, one of the big shifts I think we've seen is um, the need to be um, technology enabled. Um, every company that's um, whatever you do you need technology backing it and I think it's more important today than it was 10 years ago the other thing is because of social media there's been a fundamental shift in how you market and um, understanding how social media works and how you can use social social media to promote your brand is is very different today than it was 10 years ago because there are more platforms you know you, um, TikTok is the latest thing, whereas TikTok didn't exist when I started my my business. So um, I think there's been a huge amount of change in technology advancements. We've got Chat GTP, we've got AI. Um, being aware and knowledgeable about what's happening in these sorts of developments, I think, is 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 very very important because things are changing faster than we'd ever expected. Um, and understanding how things are going to change in the future and keeping abreast of that helps you be, be creative, innovative, agile in the way that you develop your business. Let me give you an example. So um, because we run a lot of events, we have to write biographies on yeah. the people that are coming to the various dinners and receptions, et cetera. Some of our receptions have 300 people. So, you know, writing 300 biographies, I needed a small team to write those biographies. Now you can use chat GTP and it's it's there. It's not 100% correct, but it's sort of 60% there and then you can tweak it. So, you know, there's ways of saving money by using um, 
technology and new advancements. Um, so it's not necessarily seen as a bad thing always. It actually can, can be very helpful to a business. So I think that, that that is different. I think the way that we're working is also very different. We work much more hybrid than we used to 10 years ago. So, you know, some of my team are working from home. Some of my team are in the office. Some of my team are uh, hybrid working. So I've had to adapt quite a lot as a leader to be much more goal orientated they're not always in the office and you can't always see what everyone is doing so I think there's a lot of change in the way that we work how we work uh, and um, the platforms that we use to grow our brand to grow our name uh, I think we can also use today there's more room for cross fertilization um, because of various platforms um, not just in terms of social media, but, you know, if you have somebody who works with you two days a week, they may be working in a different organization another two days a week. But actually, that can be very helpful to your own growth and your own business because they're learning different skill sets at where they where they are. And I think today is also more about um, um, a, a multi-channel, omni-channel approach. So depending on what your business is, you know, you you can have your physical outlets, you can have your online outlets, uh, and you can have social media distribution, that kind of thing. So we're much more omni-channel today than we used to be. So those are sort of some of the key changes and trends, I think. Which are really absolutely nailed on, right? Which is uh, really important. And uh, again, I think some really key points that you talked about, you know, traditional old business rules. You wouldn't want somebody working in your business two days a week was working with someone else two days a week and then another in the old way but now yeah. you're right it actually creates opportunity opportunity yeah you know also it creates uh multi-skills and brings more value to your organization so what might have been an old rule is now something that that we adapt to and, and also chat gbt right and yeah. um ai software and it is um I, I would say it is my most used i train a lot on ai and i help people with ai and how to use it and it's uh -huh. something that it's probably my most used asset right now and, and and also training your teams on it because getting them to produce better speed up more um just keeps the wheels turning and uh you know squeezes more out of the out of the pit squeezes the pips out right which is really important so uh, yeah. some awesome, awesome stuff there yeah so, so now one other thing adam i can add is and there's also more access to grants available so i don't know how um um you know, we have companies like Innovate UK providing small grants to businesses, especially high tech businesses. We have things like the government's initiative on uh, SEIS and EIS, the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, the Enterprise Investment Schemes. I think these things were around when I started, but they're probably a lot more advanced in terms of what they can give to SMEs in terms of getting investment support from private investors. We have the R&D tax credits. We also have the knowledge-based R&D tax credits. So there's also financial offerings that are more readily available from grants to government support, to ways of government supporting investors to help finance companies, um, which I think has been helpful. Yeah, and, and, and obviously you're very exposed to that, being on the uh, Mirror London board. Yeah. And why? Because there is a lot, of, a lot of opportunity out there, but you find a lot of small businesses don't go and take that opportunity, don't you? I don't know. In your yeah. experience, what what do you talk about in terms of doing more to get people to take action on these types of things? Because sometimes they feel it's over their head. Sometimes they feel like they don't know where to start. Um, how do you think that that's evolving? Is it becoming more simple for entrepreneurs? Is it a promotion issue? How do we get more businesses taking advantage of these initiatives? 
I think the important thing is to actually do it. Just do it. Just apply for the grant. If you get rejected, it doesn't matter because at least you've done the legwork to put in the grant application, which then makes it slightly easier to do the next one and the next one and the next one. And then you start to build a cadre of information on your own business that then can be used for other purposes as well, giving a presentation, raising investment, these sorts of things. So um, it is a, the initial grant application process is an investment of time. It, and it's not something you should do quickly in Russia. You should do it properly. Um, but there are also companies out there that charge a small fee or a success fee to help you gain access to grants and to make um, applications for competitions, things like this. So if you're struggling to do that yourself, again, make that investment because you might get a very you recommend, Shalini, or any that you're associated with that you think are a good uh, um, or maybe think, not it's okay if not but yeah um what i can do is if people write to us adam i can then recommend because there's different um companies for different things and therefore by naming one or two i might be recommending the wrong business depending on what kind of application you want to do so you know for the innovate uk grants it's a more sophisticated process than perhaps going for a competition for an entrepreneurship award yeah. in a small company. So it depends on what it is, but I'm very happy to direct people as yeah. as they need. Absolutely. And where is, I mean, look, I've, I've loved the conversation. I, I love the fact that you're out there helping businesses, very aligned in, you know, the, the challenges and what the challenges are and how to overcome those challenges. Uh, where can people find you, Shalini, uh, Shalini, and connect with you? Where's a great pe- place for people to be able to go and connect with you? Is there a particular channel that you use? Um, um, people just write into me, my team. So my email ID is um, shalini at e2exchange.com. S-H-A-L-I-N-I at E and the number two, and then the word exchange.com. Our business is called E2E, but the actual um, um company name is e2 exchange e2e exchange um so that's where they can find me otherwise communications at e2exchange.com is our generic where people write into us and our website address is www.e2exchange.com oh fabulous fabulous and and in terms of uh you know just to to finish off is there some some favorite uh business tips that you want to give to to entrepreneurs out there that want to grow just a couple of tips on the on the mindset aspect you kind of mentioned that a couple of times you mentioned it with the co-founders you mentioned it being on your own what is there any things that you do specifically to keep your mindset in uh, mindset in check to keep you motivated to keep you inspired is there anything you'd like to share on that aspect yes certainly thank you for the opportunity um adam i appreciate it so one thing is to make sure you're surrounded when i say surrounded you need four or five very good people um, that you trust, you can talk to, have that conversation with. I think it's important to have those, those close um, people who've got business skills, who've been there, done it, have experience that can keep going. The other thing is, if you really believe in your business model and you can see it's got mileage, and you can see that you can monetize, then it's important to have that tenacity. And unfortunately, the world of the entrepreneur is... It's hard every day. You know, I said it was hard when I started. It's still hard, Adam. Every day is still not easy. And um, um, some entrepreneurs have it very lucky because they make a very successful business in two to three years. You know, it's taken us 12 years and we're still trying. And um, it's not easy. So having that mindset to say, look, I'm not going to give up. Um, When you're taking investment, 
it's it's a big decision. It's a big decision. So um, make those decisions very carefully that you are. It is the right for you. Entrepreneurship isn't right for everybody. You know, it's right for certain sorts of people. And and having that tenacity, I think, is key um, because it's much easier to give up than keep going. Brilliant. Well, love that. Uh, you said two. Sure. So it's I been an absolute pleasure two. talking to you. I could give you so many more if you prefer. That's okay. <laughs> so, is that okay too? Oh, that was per- perfect. I think really yeah. important points. Surround yourself with the right people. You know, work on that tenacity. And uh, you know, one one other question I do want to ask because it's uh, very relevant to what you just said. When you said not everybody's cut out for entrepreneurship, what yeah. qualities do you think really help somebody in that area? You've mentioned tenacity. Is there any other qualities that you think people should develop or look at developing in order to be able to be more successful in business? I think you have to have an appetite to take risk. Um, you know, you have an appetite to take financial risk, personal risk. And if, for example, you've got a young family and you can't afford to take that risk, make this decision very carefully. Um, but having said that, if you start and it's going well, there's nothing better than being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And I think that's the, you've got to look at the upside as well. Yeah. But it's amazing having you on. Go and connect with uh, Shalini. Huge amounts of experience um, in this area and massive connections to somebody you certainly want to connect with. I want to say a big thank you for listening today to uh, Business Growth Secrets podcast. If you found this really useful, make sure you share this episode with another entrepreneur. Just go over to the three dots, click it, share it. Go and send that to somebody perhaps that's looking to raise finance, somebody that's looking for some motivation around entrepreneurship and really spread that message. You know, we don't run ads on this podcast. The only way that this grows is by you, the listener, looking to add value to other business owners just like you. So go and take this episode and share it around. And a big thank you for, uh, for Shalini. You've been absolutely amazing. Really enjoyed having you today. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed talking to you and I wish you all the success. Hi everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets, and if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.